Well, thank you. It's nice to be with you again. I'd like you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John. And uh, we'd like to read from chapter 1 and the first seven verses. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And uh, while you're turning there, we just uh, were asking if anybody had any birthdays. I just want to let you know that uh, this year is the 400th birthday of the King James Bible. Written in 1611, it's now 2011. And uh, while I just got back from England, I was in England um, for five weeks, got back on, um, on Monday, and uh, one of the things that I was privileged to see while I was over there was the BBC did a documentary about the King James Bible. And uh, the BBC is not usually complimentary to anything to do with Christianity. But I was quite taken aback by the things that they said. They said that the King James Bible was the finest work of English prose ever written. Wow, that's praise indeed, isn't it? And then they said that it manages to combine majesty and simplicity like no other writing. And I thought, wow, that's exciting, isn't it? Especially as I preach from the King James all the time, I thought, well, that's good, I like that. So, not that I'm a King James only guy, I recognize that there are other translations that are helpful, but uh, what, a, what a combination, majesty and simplicity. So, uh, I trust that the Lord will bless our reading and that you'll appreciate uh, maybe the sacrifice that was made so that you could have a Bible that you could read uh, today. First John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And again, we believe God will bless the reading of his precious word to us today. Well, I've been given the task of speaking on the New Testament church, and very graciously they've given me four sessions to do uh, something that uh, Sam Thorpe and I do when we go to Kenya, and we take 50 sessions to teach the New Testament church, and you want me to do it in four. So obviously, there's going to be a lot missing here, okay? In fact, I'm going to have to be very selective. And what I'd like to do, particularly, just so you know where we're headed, is I want to think, first of all, about reception and assembly fellowship today. How do you come into fellowship with these people who are gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus as Christians? How do you, how do you what's the process? How do you actually get to belong to this group of believers. Uh, How does that work? And and then what is expected of you? When you are in assembly fellowship, what does that mean practically? 
And then this evening, we want to know, uh, how do we get rid of you? I mean, if you're walking in sin, we want to think about the process of not receiving into the assembly, but the process of putting away from the assembly. Now, of course, uh, bear with me on this. We don't want to do that. That's the last thing that we would ever want to do. But even we just read there that, you see, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And so how you walk affects our ability to enjoy fellowship with you. If you walk in darkness, much as we love you, we can't really, we're not walking in the same direction. And so, obviously, we want to think about discipline. And then um, on Wednesday night, we'll see how we go tonight with the, the or Tuesday night, should I say, with the, with the issue of uh, church discipline, because it's a massive subject. Uh, but we will talk a little bit about the attitudes uh, that are helpful to conducive assembly fellowship, because attitude is everything. It really is. Uh, and, and so we want to think about what is a healthy attitude towards a local New Testament church. So that's where we're headed, and um, we, we trust the Lord will help us with these things. I want to uh, say this, that I, I wrote an article for Uplook magazine several years ago on reception into the local assembly. And I don't think I've ever uh, written anything that has had as much feedback. Uh, in fact, uh, I still get feedback from that article. You can actually get it on Uplook's website. It's, it's still on there. Um, and um, one of the things that uh, it really it caused a cut, quite, a, quite a stir, because I think in a lot of assemblies, we don't even think about the issue of reception. And uh, I think there's a reason for that. Usually when I go to an assembly, I'll ask one of the elders, how many are in fellowship in your assembly? And I get all kinds of answers. Uh, one of the answers I might get was this, that, well, well, we have, say, 35 at the Lord's Supper, and maybe 75 at the Family Bible Hour, and 15 at the prayer meeting. So they understand it in terms of how many are in attendance. Well, I never asked how many are in attendance. I asked how many are in fellowship. Different things. Yeah, but, but that's often the way it's answered. Or another question, it's usually answered with a question, what do you mean by in fellowship? And I think there's a real breakdown of this area of reception. I think there's a reason for that. Uh, there are some assemblies, and they have a very strong reception policy. Uh, and that is that if you go to them and you don't have a letter with you, they will ask you to sit in the back seat and just watch. And if you want to really come into fellowship there, you may have to sit in the back seat for a long time. could be six months until they examine your life and see whether you're fit to be received into the assembly. And we have perhaps reacted against that viewpoint, which is perhaps a little bit extreme. Uh, I jokingly say you almost need a blood test to get in there in some of those meetings, right? It's not easy. To the other extreme, where you show up three weeks in a row and you're considered to be in fellowship in the average chapel. Now, neither one of those extremes are right. You see, that, isn't that one of our problems? Is that as people, we, we, we swing like pendulums from ditch to ditch. You know how that is? Uh, I remember when I, a young believer, uh, as a young believer, the charismatic movement kind of came into the church that we were involved in in England. And, um, and, and a lot of people left and it would cause a lot of division and a lot of confusion and all the rest of it. And, and I want to say that, that these people were extreme in their view of the Holy Spirit 
But I believe what happened is we became extreme in our view of the Holy Spirit so that you didn't mention the Holy Spirit without fear of being labeled a charismatic. What did we do? We reacted against their extreme and took an extreme ourselves. And let me tell you something. Truth is never in the ditches. It's always in the middle. Right? So, so we've got to be careful we don't react. Uh, I can give you some interesting experiences. Uh, one experience regarding reception. Uh, we were living in Leeds in the north of England. That's where I was born. And um, we, we had a snowstorm there. And um, we had noticed this little gospel hall. It was very close to where we lived, maybe a 10-minute walk. And we were traveling eight miles across the city to, a, to another church. And, and this snowy day, they were saying, whatever you do, don't go out. You know, the roads are treacherous. You know, if you have to go anywhere, walk. So we thought, well, we'll go to this gospel hall. And we'd never been in an assembly before. And it was snowing, so my wife had a hat on, so it was no problem. Uh, she could get in as far as, as the headgear was concerned. But, but they, they asked us to sit in the back seat. And we witnessed our first ever remembrance meeting. And it was tremendous. I want to tell you, a theme ripped through that meeting. It was breathtaking. And I remember thinking, this is where I want to be. I just loved it. It was love at first sight. I want to tell you, I wanted to be in the assembly. But nobody ever explained how you got out of the back seat and into fellowship. And so my wife and I concluded, we're both saved out of Catholicism, we don't know too much about evangelicalism, period, at this point, and we realized, we came to this conclusion, you must have to be born into it. And so we never went back. Isn't that sad? Eight years later, we finally figured out you could get in, and uh, we came into Assembly Fellowship in Florida, of all places. Uh, had to go halfway around the world to do that. And, and, uh, and actually, just to, to give you the kind of final chapter, I just finished a week of gospel meetings in that assembly uh, last Lord's Day morning. So that's kind of interesting. And uh, we're in happy fellowship with them now, and we finally did get in. But, but you see, um, but you, you see, this idea is... Um, why do they do that? Well, let me just talk about the assembly a little bit. Look at First um, Corinthians chapter five for a moment. First Corinthians chapter five, and there's a, a couple of verses here in verses twelve and thirteen that are very helpful. It says, "For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not you judge them that are within?" But them that are without, God judgeth, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. I want you just to notice the simple words within and without. There is a within and there is a without, isn't that clearly here in these verses? There are those that are considered to be within. What does that mean? They're, they're the ones that are in fellowship in the assembly. And, and um, uh, he, he talks about uh, that, that we're responsible to judge those that are within was that the moral conduct of those within, we must make judgments. We'll talk about that tonight uh, in terms of church discipline. Uh, somebody is walking in open, f- uh, flagrant sin. We have to judge that because, you see, how, what do people view when they look at us as an assembly of believers? If they see that there are people in our fellowship that are involved in gross immorality, what do they say? That's Christianity. It's just hypocrisy, right? They don't, you know, they, they, they talk morality, but they don't live it. So when we actively judge that, 
which is within, that is wrong, and remove from our fellowship, with a view of their repentance and restoration, by the way. But when we do that, we're saying we're serious about holiness and about sin. And, and we're, we're, we're actually doing a good thing because the world out there cannot look at us and say, those Christians at Boulevard Bible Chapel, they do not care about sin. They may preach about it, but their people are some of the most hypocritical, wicked people you could ever meet. No, we don't want them to be able to say that. So, so there is those that are within, and then there's those that without. They're not in the fellowship. They're, they're outside and so clearly, there, there is a, a within and a without. And um, uh, going back to our First John, I want to just read something there. And I think it's very important, First John chapter 1, that we understand this. And, and even in terms of church discipline, uh, this man in First Corinthians 5, he was involved in, in actually an incestual relationship. Bible would consider that he was he was actually uh, having a, a, a fornicating relationship with his father's wife, and that the Bible considers that to be incest and fornication, and it must be judged, must be dealt with, right? And and so this man, if you based on First John one verse seven, it says, "If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another." And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses from all sin. Our fellowship is based on our walking in the light. Right? If if I'm walking in the light and you're walking in the light, we're enjoying fellowship with each other. What if, verse 6, we say we have fellowship with him, with the Lord Jesus, and walk in darkness, what are we doing? We're lying and we're not practicing the truth. And, and so this man in 1 Corinthians 5, he was walking in darkness, wasn't he? In fact, it's true to say that the assembly, when they put him away, he, he had already been out of fellowship with the Lord for a long time, hadn't he? All the assembly was doing was making real that which was already the case. He was already out of fellowship. He was out of fellowship with the Lord. And therefore, he must have been out of fellowship with the believers because, you know, our walking together is based on walking in the light and he's walking in the darkness. So how could we enjoy fellowship with him? We couldn't. And all we did was actualize that which was real. And that was that he was walking in clear uh, sin. He was walking in darkness. So clearly, there, there is this idea of a within and a without because how can you put somebody away if they didn't, at least initially be received in and that's why we talk about reception you can't put somebody away unless they were first received in there must be a receiving into the fellowship now why we talk about fellowship and not membership you go to a local baptist church and there'll be membership 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 you know why we don't say membership because when you got saved you became a member of the body of christ you're already a member of the universal body uh, of Christ Jesus. But then the local expression of that body would be here in Boulevard Bible Chapel, and you have to be received into the fellowship of this local company. So that's why we make that distinction. Now let me just say something about the, the Lord's Table. We were here this morning, we enjoyed the Lord's Table, we, we had a wonderful time together. But... Um, can I say this, that I don't believe in an open table. Now, before I get kicked off the platform, I'm going to explain why I say that. If you're under discipline from your assembly, 
for sin, you're not welcome to break bread here. Right? I, mean, I believe the elders would be, back me up on that, right? So, so we don't believe in an open table. Uh, if, you, if you come here and, and you uh, uh, have false doctrine, and we know about it, we, we might be very reluctant to receive you into this assembly because our, our meeting to remember the Lord is open. And we don't want you getting up and saying something that is contrary to the doctrine of Christ, right? So, so we're not kind of believing in an open table. Now, we also recognize that we're not saying that this table uh, is, is only for people that say shibboleth the way we say it. Some of you that know the Old Testament will understand what I mean by that. Uh, and, and so we want to think about some of those things, and there's a, there's a balance there in the whole process. But just give you another example. Uh, we, we were involved in Ireland in church planting in the south of Ireland, and we, we were involved in this work in Kilkenny. And uh, whenever somebody would come to visit us, we would have one of the elders, or sometimes two of the elders, would meet them at the door. We'd greet them, we'd welcome them. And, and uh, if it was a stranger who we didn't know, the first thing we would do is we'd ask them if they would give us their testimony. Because I don't know who this guy is, and he can't remember the Lord if he doesn't know the Lord. Right? I mean, you can't remember somebody you've never met. Right? So, so if he's not a believer, no point him taking the elements to remember somebody that he's never even met. Right? You, 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 if you're not in fellowship with him, you can't be in fellowship with us, even casually. And so we would ask that question. And one day there was a guy, and, and his testimony was really weird. I mean, it just we, neither one of us, uh, there were two of us there that day, we weren't happy with it. And so we asked this guy, now we didn't do this all the time, but we asked this guy to sit back and just observe and not to partake. Afterwards, at the coffee break, we got to talk to him a little bit further, and we found out that he was involved in a group called The Family, which was a cult that practiced child sex. Yeah, sick, exactly. I am so thankful that we did not welcome him to remember the Lord with us that day. Who knows what might have happened and what would become of that. You see what I'm saying? And so all I'm saying is, balance here, folks. I'm not saying we're we're trying to put roadblocks or stumbling blocks before people, but I'm saying at the same time that we just need to take a little bit of care, right? Because you just don't know. This is a weird world we're living in right now, isn't it? You just need to be careful. That's all I'm saying. And, and uh, one of the things that can be helpful is what we call letters of commendation. When I went to England, I was visiting some assemblies that I'd never been to before, and I got a letter from my assembly in, in Southeast Bible Chapel, Springfield, Missouri, and it said that Mike uh, is in happy fellowship in our assembly, blah, 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 you know, receive him as be- uh, in the Lord as becometh saints. And, and they read that out at the beginning of the remembrance meeting, and everybody could relax and say, hey, this guy is okay, he's one of us. And I think that's a good practice, and it's a biblical practice, and we see it very, very much in the New Testament. Now, let me just show you, in the New Testament, that there was care taken in reception in the, in the local church. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It says, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple, 
And Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. So you get this picture. Here comes Saul. Now you just remember what we know about Saul. Up to this point, all we know, chapter 8, this guy has been making havoc of the church. This guy's been trouble with a capital T, hasn't he? Persecuting Christians for a living. And he just shows up at your assembly. What's your first thought? <laughs> He's after us now, right? And so they were a little bit concerned about this. And, and although they'd heard these rumors that he'd become a Christian, could he just be, you know, I mean, uh, could he be a, a sneak? Could he be in here to find us out or whatever? And, and so what happened? How did they eventually receive him? Barnabas acted as his letter. Right? Barnabas said, this guy's truly saved. Here's his testimony. I know it's real. Receive him. Uh, and he was welcomed into the assembly. But, but again, they were cautious. They were careful. They didn't just kind of, you know, show up three weeks in a row and you're in. That wasn't the mentality. Now, I want you to look at Acts chapter 2 as well, please. Acts chapter 2. I want you to break in here with me at verse 41 and here we get kind of the the beginning of the of of how this new testament church that we're going to be speaking of how it really began and notice it says verse 41 what is a new testament church who belongs to it well verse 41 says this then they that gladly received his word so a new testament church really is comprised of people who have gladly received his word they, they have believed the truth. And, and actually, contextually, what Pete, Peter had just been telling them is that they were the people that crucified their own Messiah and, and that they were sinners with a capital S. And they needed a Savior with a capital S, right? And they pointed them to the Lord Jesus. And those that gladly received His Word. Okay, so when we say receiving somebody into fellowship, the first thing is, to be received into fellowship with us, they must be in fellowship with Him. Right? They must be in fellowship with the Lord. They must be saved. Now, if you're not saved, you're welcome here because this is open to the public. And we want you to hear the Word of God. But you're not in fellowship in this assembly until you're saved. You can't be in fellowship in this assembly. Right? You can come, but you can't really be one of us because you're not one with Him. And so you can't be one with us. You have to get right with God first through the Lord Jesus. So it's those that have gladly received His word. Then notice what it says. It says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. Do you know that in the New Testament, the idea of an unbaptized believer is absolutely foreign to the New Testament? You just You can't find it. When somebody got saved, you know when they got baptized? Actually, that day. Every instance in the book of Acts, when somebody got saved, they got baptized except one. That was Saul of Tarsus. He was blind at the time. When he received his sight, it says immediately he was baptized. He had a good excuse. It was three days between his conversion and his baptism. Could I say that if you want to be in fellowship in a local assembly, one, you need to be saved. And secondly, you need to be obedient to the Lord in believer's baptism. Because you see, what we're about is obeying the Lord. That's what we're about as an assembly, isn't it? 
And if you're not faithful at the first hurdle, why will you be faithful the rest of the time? If you're not obeying the command of the Lord to be baptized, what makes you think you're going to obey anything else? You see? And so it's a very serious test of discipleship right at the beginning, isn't it? How serious are you about observing all things that I have commanded you, the Lord Jesus says? How serious? If you're not willing to identify with me publicly in my death, burial, and resurrection, why would you want to obey anything else? And so I personally, if somebody, so we, we had a family came to visit us, uh, and uh, they were interested in coming into our assembly, and, and uh, there, were, there was uh, mom and dad and two children. And I asked, the, and the children were, were teenagers, and, and so I asked them their testimony, and then I asked them if they were baptized. And, and uh, well, mom and dad were baptized, but the two kids weren't baptized. So I said, well, we can receive you, mom and dad, but we can't receive your children. The mother was horrified. I mean, I was kind of the most evil man on the planet not going to receive my kids. And so I said, well, can I just show you in Scripture? We went through the Word of God, and we showed them every verse that talks about somebody getting saved and somebody getting baptized. And I said, if if you're really saved, why aren't you baptized? And so the kids said, Mom, why aren't we baptized? (laughs) So we, the following Lord's Day, we changed our services, and instead of breaking bread at 9.30, we had a baptism at 9.30, and then afterwards we broke bread, and we received them into fellowship. And why? Because we just want to follow the book. Not trying to be awkward, not trying to be pedantic. I'm just want to, this is what God says. Doesn't God have the right to tell us what the rules of his house are? Because this, this assembly is the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And you know, when you come to my house, you're very welcome, but let, just, I want to remind you, it's my house. Right? So I can set the rules. Because it's my house. Now, you're still welcome, but there are certain ground rules. Well, it's, it's the same with the house of God. <laughs> he wants us. He wants His house filled. He wants us here. He wants our fellowship, but He's not going to lower His standards. And His standards are very clearly laid out in the Word of God. Those that gladly received His Word were baptized, and there were no exceptions. And there aren't in the New Testament. As I said, and I'll say it again, without fear of contradiction. And if you have a problem with what I'm saying, you show me I'm wrong from Scripture. Okay, because I'll listen. But if it's just your opinion, I'm not interested. Show me from the Word of God. I can show you from the Scriptures that when somebody got saved, they got baptized. You say, well, what about the dying thief? I think he had a good excuse. He was nailed to a cross. Uh, you, we can arrange that if you like. Uh, I mean, no, we can't. But uh, but you know, just uh, the, 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 scripturally, when somebody got saved, they got baptized, and and so clearly, uh, then it says, "They that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls." Now, there's this hundred and twenty in the upper room, and remember, these people were were in fear before the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. They're in the upper room, and the doors are bolted from the inside, because they've just seen what the mob did to the Lord Jesus not that long ago, and the mob's hostility hasn't died down any. And these people were baying for blood. And they were petrified in this upper room, doors closed, and then the Spirit of God came. And, and these men were transformed instantaneously with a holy boldness. And they went out and they preached boldly to the same mob 
different feast day. We've gone now from the feast of Passover now to the feast of Pentecost. And they preached the gospel and they preached it powerfully and convictingly. And when these people got saved, these 3,000 souls, and got baptized publicly, can you imagine what that day must have been like in Jerusalem? See, there's no river in Jerusalem. I don't know if you know that. It's, cap- it's going to be one day, but there isn't right now. Capital city without a river. But there's pools. Pool of Siloam, Pool of Bethesda. And, and can you imagine 3,000 people, you know, the whole city was a buzz, wasn't it? They've already identified with Christ publicly in this way. And now they want to identify with this company of 120 that were gathered in the upper room. And they were added unto them 3,000 souls. And it was not something they took lightly. It was a very serious thought through issue. And then it says, and they. And if we were to write this today, you know what we'd say? Instead of, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You know what we'd say today? And they continued seldomly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship and prayers. You know, when the mood was right and the wind was blowing in the right direction and everything was going fine, I felt good, I came. These people were committed. We're going to talk a lot about that over these four uh, days. I'm going to warn you, so if you're not kind of committed, you might not want to come, because you might not like it, you might feel uncomfortable, but maybe you need to come, because you need to be committed. The Lord Jesus is worthy of the highest commitment, isn't he? He he certainly was committed to you, wasn't he? You talk about commitment, he was committed to go to the cross to pay for your sin. That's what I call commitment. And what does he demand of us? Commitment. Commitment. And these people were committed. They continued steadfastly. It means that they, they, they stuck to it like glue. They weren't sidetracked. They, they were determined. And that's what they did. So we, we think about um, assembly fellowship. I want to just make a, a distinction between what I call casual fellowship and permanent fellowship. Uh, you're in an area which at least at one point was a holiday destination. I don't know whether people still come to, to this area for their holidays or not anymore. But if they, if they do, you get, probably get a lot of visitors. Okay? And not everybody that visits maybe is from a New Testament church like this is. So what's your attitude to be? Well, I think very simple. You ask them, first of all, are they believers? And if they are believers, what does it say? Uh, Romans 15, uh, 15 verse 7, uh, as the Lord has received us, we're to receive one another. Okay, so if, if the Lord's received them, then we can receive them. Now, what is interesting is, when you look at the history of this movement of a rest- restoration of New Testament Christianity, what you find is that in the early days, they used to have their breaking of bread meetings at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You know why? So that the Anglican clergyman could come and break bread with them. And they would sit there with their dog collars on, evangelical Anglicans, and they would witness a New Testament remembrance meeting for the first time in their lives. And you know what? Many of them, they left Anglicanism they left at a high price, and they came in fellowship amongst assemblies that meet in New Testament simplicity. And I... I'm convinced that if we make it too hard for visitors to come and see what we do, they'll never get to experience what we experience. And, and, and they'll, they'll think, we have, we have uh, 
two families that have come to our assembly recently from a Baptist background. We have a third family that have just come recently. And I want to tell you, uh, they've been coming for about a month now. They're not in fellowship, but they're coming along and they're coming to all the meetings. And I want to tell you, they are so excited. They just said, we can't believe this place exists. This is just exactly what we see in our Bibles. And they're so, they're so hyped and so pumped about every meeting. And, and you know what? We're getting hyped and pumped again because we kind of got used to this. And now we realize that what we've got is so precious. And they're making us realize what we've got is so precious. And, and so... Uh, uh, some questions you've got a visitor coming has the Lord received them are they in happy fellowship where they're visiting from again if they're in discipline from where they've, they've left so you have to sit and watch you can't participate we, we, we want to enforce discipline wherever it is being enacted why? because we want the person's repentance and restoration and by letting them come here and receiving them here without any questions asked, we're actually not helping their case, are we? We're letting the pressure off, right? And, and the whole idea of church discipline is to put them under pressure so they'll repent and they'll be restored. And so, so we don't want to help that in any way. And so we have to ask the question, are you in happy fellowship where, where you're visiting from? If they're under discipline, then we expect that they would respect us and not expect to practice and then what if they come from a fellowship that holds views that are contrary to what is held in our meeting what if what if they're uh, charismatic believers for instance i think we need to make it clear that explain to them what the meeting is for what it's about and and we we would prefer that they do not audibly participate especially if they're going to get up there and start Nonsense, you know. I mean, that's the, the danger, right? Is it's an open format, and uh, of course, if they do get up and and uh, we've had that happen. I remember one time we were uh, uh, in, again in Ireland. We had a visiting family, and and uh, the lady got up at the Lord's Supper and started holding forth, and and I had to get up at the Lord's Supper and hold forth as well, and ask her to please remain silent, which is very difficult. Of course, it takes guts to do that, but but God's order is God's order, and we need to maintain godly order. And so there's always that risk, but at the same time, I think it's good to explain to people, and of course, what that means is we need to have people there at the door ready to receive these visitors and understand where they're coming from. What are some of the advantages of a well-thought-out reception policy? And I want to just think now, we said this is casual fellowship. Now, what about somebody who has visited for a few weeks, like our Baptist friends that have been coming to us? What happens now? Well, what we have done is we have met with them and we have gone through with them what we believe and what we practice. And we've explained to them both the privileges and the responsibilities of being in fellowship in an assembly. Here are the privileges. You come in fellowship here, we'll guarantee we will feed your souls. We take that really seriously. Uh, we'll guarantee that we're going to pray for you. We're going to guarantee that we're going to hold you accountable spiritually because we care about your walk with the Lord. We're going to guarantee that when you're going through difficulties, we'll be right there with you. Anything we can do to help you, this is what we're here for. This is what we'll do. But this is what we expect of you. We expect your attendance. Uh, Hebrews 10.25, right? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. All the more so as you see the day approaching. Don't you see the day approaching? 
And you're watching, people are coming up to my buddy who's a nurse at work and saying to him, do you think it's the end of the world? He says, yes. <laughs> and he gives them a good opportunity to give the gospel. But you see what I'm saying is, yeah, the day's approaching and you need Christian fellowship. I need Christian fellowship. We need each other. And so we would sit down with somebody and say, we expect you to be at the meetings. Why do we expect you to be at the meetings? Well, for one thing is that, that God, is, the Holy Spirit, has given you specific gifts for the building up of our body. And if you're not here, you can't use them. Right? We need your support, your gifts to, to build up our assembly. Uh, we need you here because, because we're serious about teaching the scriptures and, 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 and we, we realize that you need the whole counsel of God and if you're not here, how can you get the whole counsel of God? We're preparing tasty meals for you and you're not even showing up to eat them. And I think, you see, if you do that and if you lay out the privileges and responsibilities and then they want to come into fellowship and by the way, it's, it's not the elders that receive them. The whole assembly receives them. Just as discipline, it's not, the assembly that put, it's not the elders that put them away. The whole assembly puts them away. So, so um, the elders might bring before the assembly this couple of us to be in fellowship and we'd like to receive them on such and such a day and there's a formal receiving of them into the assembly. And of course, in that whole process of visiting with them, we're asking the question, are they truly saved? Have they been baptized as believers? Do they understand our doctrinal position? Uh, do they, is there any questions about what we're doing? And once they've done that, and I'm already on borrowed time, but I got started late, so you just understand that, okay? So it's kind of, this is a give and take thing. Um, um, the... the uh, these privileges and responsibilities, once, once we've explained that to them, if they don't live up to their end of the stick, if you like, guess what? We can go and visit them. Remember when we received you into fellowship? Remember what we talked about? And by the way, if we're not holding up our end, they can come and talk to us. This is a, 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 really a commitment to accountability to each other and to the work of the Lord. That's what we're doing. Now, uh, with this, I'm, I'm going to finish because obviously time is going to be as But I want you to look at Luke chapter 5. I want to talk about fellowship just for a moment. And I finish with a, an interesting uh, story and illustration that might uh, just kind of nail some thoughts down for us all. Uh, and this is Luke 5 verse 7. This word fellowship, it means a, a holding together in common. And, and what, what do we hold together in common? Well, it's Christ, isn't it? He's, he's the common link that links us all together. We're all saved and redeemed by the same precious Savior. And, and so that's what we hold together in common. And, and that word fellowship, koinonia in Greek, in verse 7 here, it says, They beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And that word partners, it's used here of brothers who were partners in a fishing business. And it's the same Greek word, koinonia, fellowship. And the idea was that these men, they all shared in the responsibility of the fishing business. They helped mend the nets. They went out fishing. They, they brought in the fish. They sorted the fish. But they also shared in the blessings, and that was when payday came. Okay, And so it was a shared responsibility and a shared blessing. I was uh, down in Spanish Wells, uh, suffering for the Lord Jesus in the Bahamas, you know how that is, and um, uh, preaching down there. And um, 
they're lobster fishermen. I, I, some of you may, may be familiar with some of the brethren there. And, uh, and what they do is they'll have a group of men and they'll club together and they'll buy a boat. Now, it's not cheap. I don't know. Those things cost a quarter of a million dollars, something like that. And so they'll all invest in that. And then they'll build these little habitats that they'll put on the bottom of the ocean. And the, the, the lobster, which is the cockroach of the sea, they kind of like dark places. And they go into these habitats. And then they'll eventually dive down and they'll, they'll spearfish them. And then they'll take them and then they'll, they'll sell them. And so I said to the brothers there, I said, look, guys, I want to come in on a boat. I want to be part of one of these boats. Now, I don't want to pay anything, and I don't want to do any work. In fact, I'd like to come with you on the voyage, but I'm going to sit on the deck chair, on deck, reading books and just getting a suntan. But when it comes to getting paid, I want an equal share. You know, they don't want me on their boats. I don't know why, but not one of them would like me on their boats. You know why? Because I want all the blessings, but I don't want any of the responsibilities. Does that sound familiar? There are probably people in this assembly that like this assembly. And they recognize that they're getting fed, they're getting encouragement, and they're being blessed. But they don't want to do any work. They just want the blessings, but they don't want any responsibilities. That's not fair. That's not scriptural. You know why it's not scriptural? Because the Lord Jesus said this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? You ought to. The Lord Jesus said it. But sometimes we live as if we don't believe that. And that we think he's lying. And that it's actually more blessed to receive than to give. But it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I, I'd like you to, to think with me about this issue of fellowship. I, I'd like the elders to think about it. Uh, do you have a proper reception policy? D- do you meet with people and explain to them the privileges and responsibilities of assembly fellowship? And then, having done that and received them into the assembly, do you hold them accountable? Those of you that, that are in fellowship, are you continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, Breaking of Bread, Fellowship and Prayers, or could it be more an apt description of you that you're continuing seldomly, just breezing in and breezing out? Breezers, that's what I call them. Just breeze in and breeze out whenever it's convenient. There's a day coming, can I tell you, that you're going to meet the head of the church. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account. One of the issues you're going to give an account for is the gifts that the Spirit of God has personally chosen for you to use to build up this assembly. And maybe this assembly is not functioning properly because some of the kidneys are absent. You see, it describes it like a body, you see. And of course, if you've got a kidney missing, you're not kind of functioning fully in full pelt, right? And, and our assemblies sometimes struggle because we have people who really ought to have developed their gift and really ought to be kind of really in the work and wholeheartedly in the work, and they're breezers. They're just in and out whenever it's convenient. And the day is coming, mark my words, when we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So I suggest that you live today in the light of that day. And that you get serious about being in assembly fellowship. Because you know what? 
for all the problems of a local assembly, there's no place like it on this earth. I love the assemblies. I, I love my assembly. I, uh, the hardest thing for me about itinerant ministry is twofold. Being away from my family and being away from my assembly. But you have no idea how difficult that is. But why is that? Because these people are precious. They're absolutely precious. They love the Lord Jesus with all their hearts and all their minds and all their souls and all their strength. And that's where I want to be with people like that. Our time has gone. Forgive me for going over. <clears throat> Thank you for continuing steadfastly with me until the end. Let's just pray. Father, we just are asking for this series of meetings. We recognize the need of direction from the Spirit of God to make these meetings count for eternity. We're not interested in filling notebooks or just gathering information. We're interested, Heavenly Father, in transformation. And we do ask that uh, if there's someone here today and they perhaps feel very much that they're really not in fellowship the way the Bible describes it, that they would get serious about these very serious matters that they will one day have to meet the Lord Jesus about. And we pray for the oversight here. Give them wisdom as they seek to direct the flock here and, and give guidance and, and, and feed the flock of God. And so again, we just ask for thy help and blessing upon them. We thank thee as well for the word of God. Uh, what a privilege it is to have it in our mother tongue. We just bless your name for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.